Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. By your Spirit, make yourself known to us through the reading and the preaching of your word, that we might be faithful witnesses to this life and joyful companions in the next. Even with Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our first reading is from the Old Testament, Joel, chapter 2, reading verses 23 to 32. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army that I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Our next reading is from the Old Testament, Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion and to you shall vows be performed. O you who answer prayer, to you all flesh shall come. When deeds of iniquity overwhelm us, you forgive our transactions. Happy are those whom you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall all be satisfied with the goodness of your house your holy temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. You are the hopes of all of the earth, ends of the earth, and of the farthest seas. By your strength you establish the mountains. You are girded with might. You silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Those who live at earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs. You make the gateways of the morning and evening shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You, you, provide. you, <laughs> you provide the people with grain, for so you have prepared it. The water furrows abundantly, setting its ridges 
softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with richness. The pastures of the wilderness overflow, the hills gird themselves with joy. The meadow the meadows clothe themselves with flocks, the valleys deck themselves with grain, they shout and sing together for joy. Our next reading is from the New Testament, Second Timothy, chapter four, verse four to eight, and sixteen to eighteen. Six to eight, sorry. As for me, I already being poured out as a libination, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith from now on there is there is reserved for the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that, though, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I will rescue from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me from his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And our final reading is from the New Testament, Luke, chapter 18, reading verses 9 to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to the heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down from his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Friends in Christ, what I say to you this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Unexpected grace. Now, true confession time as we start the sermon this morning. I think we all really like it, don't we? When people get what we think they truly deserve. Right? We look for that, I don't know, is it justice in the universe that means that people get what they deserve? That the person who's always kind of pushing, pushing the boundaries finally gets a little bit of pushback. We like it when that happens. When that chippy hockey player who's always a pest to his opponents gets caught with his head down. 
skating through center ice. We all like it when he gets checked, don't we? When that person who always parks in the wrong spot finally gets caught and ticketed, or maybe even better, the car gets towed away. We always like that, don't we? So, because that's who we are, I mean, that, it's kind of part of our human condition, we can imagine how the crowd would have felt when they listened to this parable that Jesus has just shared. When Jesus begins this parable that we've just heard read this morning with these words, two men went up to the temple to pray tax collector and a Pharisee. Now, surely with those words alone, the whole crowd would have leaned in on mass just to see what Jesus was going to say. Surely this is one of those stories in which someone's finally going to get what they deserve. Boy, I wouldn't want to be that tax collector. You see, tax collectors in Jesus' day were absolutely despised by their society. Unlike today where a professional civil service examines your tax return to ensure that you're submitting the correct amount of tax, this tax collector was a little more rough and ready than someone who works for the Canada Revenue Agency. This tax collector was, well, I guess in modern terms we'd call him an independent contractor of sorts, who was given the right to collect taxes from the, by the Roman authorities and who then hired thugs to go out and make sure that people paid their taxes. All that was required from the Romans was that they received the amount of tax revenue that they thought was coming to them. The tax collector, for his part, made his money by collecting a little more than the Romans required. It was kind of a putting his thumb on the scales, as it were, so that a little more gold might be received. And to ensure that that payment was made, the tax collector hired gentlemen to collect the taxes and to ensure that payment was made. Say no more. And as reprehensible as all of that might sound to us in our 21st century sensibilities, that was not the worst part about this tax collector. In addition to the illegitimate and predatory behavior of many tax collectors, they were also seen as people who had betrayed both their nation and their faith. And in a place like Jerusalem, where nation and faith were so intertwined, well, you can imagine what people thought of the tax collector. 
By becoming a tax collector for the Roman authorities, these people were collecting money that kept the Roman army present in the land. And in this case, it was not just any land, but it was God's promised land. To work for Rome was to work against God. The tax collector's very purpose and existence struck at the very heart of the promise. And so we can imagine how the people who have gathered to hear Jesus leaned into this parable. And we can imagine how they were expecting that God was going to intervene. Just as we heard the surprising ways that God had intervened in, as we heard the, the reading from the prophet Joel this morning as well. We can imagine that in this world, the tax collector working for the geopolitical superpower of his day seemed just a little beyond justice. And the people were listening for the unexpected grace of God to break in and to hear how justice was going to be meted out by God upon this tax collector. And then, in contrast to this tax collector's Lex Luthor, there is this Superman of the Pharisee. Jesus draws us a picture of a Pharisee in blue tights and a red cape. The Pharisee in this parable is not just living the faithful life, but living in accordance with the code of righteousness and the law laid out in, in or, sorry, living in accordance with the code of righteousness laid out in the law. I knew those three words were going to get me in trouble this morning. But he also observes more than the law. He just doesn't fast on the days that are set aside in Scripture. He fasts twice every week. He just doesn't bring his tithes as set out by the, by the Hebrew Scriptures to the temple, but he brings one-tenth of everything that passes through his household. Everything that he does is this excess of devotion. He is the superman of faith. And as Jesus tells this parable, the crowd surely is right with him. They can almost see the Pharisee as he comes down the center aisle of the temple, ready to offer his prayer. And they can also see, get a sense of that tax collector moving furtively through the, through the shadows of the columns, trying his best to slide in, be unseen, offer up his prayers, and slip back out again. There couldn't, the image of this Pharisee uttering this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers and even this tax collector. After all, that is what all of them are thinking. They're with him when he prays that prayer. It's the prayer that they pray in the bottom of their heart. 
As Jesus tells this parable, surely he was able to see how the the crowd was responding. Surely Jesus knew that he had them right in the palm of his hands, primed and ready to hear of God's unexpected grace. I tell you this. This man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Can you imagine the whiplash in the crowd? What? No. Wait. This man? The tax collector? No, 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 Jesus. Not not him. The Pharisee. He's the righteous one. Jesus says, no. Not the Pharisee. But the one who will lay his heart open to God and lay bare all that he has and all that he has done So that God's grace may fill him. The unexpected part, of course, of this story that Jesus tells this morning is that it continues to speak to us just as much as it speaks to that crowd 2,000 and some odd years ago, does it not? How many of us, when we listen to that parable, if we're not really careful and we haven't heard what I've said so far in the sermon, kind of go to ourselves, gee, I sure am glad I'm not like that Pharisee, aren't I? Glad that I'm a little bit more humble than he is. But when we do that, we fall into that same trap of self-justification that the Pharisee had fallen into when he compared himself to the tax collector. Righteousness, regardless of how we choose to define it, can lead us to that temptation of thinking that maybe we're just a little bit more righteous than somebody else. But the reality of our lives of faith is that in some way or another, what's most important is not how we view other people, Perhaps that's what we're getting at here. But really, it's how we accept that God views us. As those who stand in need of forgiveness, in need of help and hope. Unexpected grace. Often we speak about grace in the church as being that free offering that God has given to us, that that wonderful love of God that fills us and gives us a new sense of purpose and being. But this morning, the emphasis is on the other word just a little bit. Unexpected grace. Because sometimes that grace comes in ways that we never quite imagined. Sometimes God moves in our lives in ways that we don't understand at the time. 
but that as we continue to live, live forward in hope and expectation, the will and the plans of God reveal themselves to us. Unexpected grace is not what we deserve. Indeed, if we could deserve God's favor, then it's neither unexpected nor is it grace. The Pharisee fully believed that not that God had blessed him in some particularly extraordinary way, but that he had earned God's favor and that there were others who had not. But for each of us, hopefully we experience the overwhelming love of God that makes itself real in our lives and causes us to think that we don't deserve this, but we're here anyway. We don't deserve God's presence in our lives walking along beside us, but we thank God daily that he is and that he does. Unexpected grace. So let us go, humbly seeking God in all that we do, knowing that as we trust in God, God reveals himself to us in new and unexpected ways. And for that, we give thanks and praise. Amen.